Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and my guest this week is the wonderful Anne Griffin. Through the lens of Anne's brilliant debut novel, When All Is Said, we chat about kindness, self-love, loneliness, being human, the pursuit of happiness, eschewing perfection and our own very special brand of guilt. First of all, thank you very much, Anne Griffin, for coming here and congratulations on your wonderful number one bestseller, your first novel, When All Is Said. Um, I had started to read this a good long time ago and then you agreed to be a guest Uh on the show. And so I saved it to read closer because I just think, you know, it's so fresh. And and to be honest, um, before I I came down to the studio, I had to dry a few tears away. Um, It is a wonderful Wonderful book. Congratulations. Uh, I'm looking at the cover of it now as I speak. Masterful storytelling from Graham Norton. Graham Norton. Um, But it is. Oh, it's just, it's fabulous. And it's a wonderful idea. If you haven't read it, go get a copy. I'm going to be loaning this very copy to to my (laughs) editor and producer, Emily, to read. um, I'm always so grateful, though, when people say they've read my book. And I know that sounds well, but I I, like, I really genuinely am. I'm like, thank you so much. Like, you know, it's such an honour for somebody to read something that I wrote you know to take the time and invest hours and yeah yeah Yeah, and especially so so, um, I want to kind of talk to you about that there's an interesting passage it's a bit on in the book Uh where Morris talks about earwigging and I hadn't heard that (laughs) phrase for a very long time it was something my mother used to say to me don't be earwigging out out when she'd be having an adult conversation or whatever hadn't heard the phrase for a long time but Morris is the main character in the book the narrator of of, of the book and and he says you know I didn't realise I was such an earwigger and he is on a trip to the States at at this point and he said it has helped me realise that we're all the same as in humans Mm. Mm. because he's earwigging on all these conversations in the United States yeah and he's a farmer you know really I I suppose a rather insular life very insular if if you think of it and self-made insular oh very he wants it that way it's very important to him yeah Yeah, and it's very interesting because I do want to kind of come back to that those choices and and, and those issues around that but he said it made him realise that we're all the same which I you know totally agree with I wish people would understand that we're just all human beings first and then yes. we would have far less yes. issues in the world today. Expecting I think. perfection from the rest of the world, which just drives me. Or looking know. at the differences between us, you yeah. know, like even the colour, if the colour of your skin is different, you are still almost 100% identical in your makeup underneath Absolutely. that. You know, it's like saying, well, yeah. people with blue eyes over there, people with green eyes over yeah. there. It's, it's very different. But he talks about this and I was kind of curious because of your writing and reading it and the nuances and capturing wonderful turns of phrases, etc., would you describe yourself as an earwigger? Is that something that has influenced and shaped yeah. your writing? I mean, I think all writers are, yeah. aren't we? Um, and lots of writers talk about this and we can be very... Um, we writers can be introverts and extroverts, but um, I think the most that I have met are introverts, and we are people who are who are quite happy in our own company, but very much enjoy sitting. Um, within a group of people, for example, the airport. I love the airport because I will sit and I will just watch people. So we can be in a crowd, but we're very happy in our own company. We don't need other people. We don't need to be interacting. Um, And so in an airport, I am 
watching people. I am imagining their lives. I'm also listening to those conversations to pick up snippets of what's going on. And from there, my brain starts to create a story behind these people. And um, and I've always done it um, from from the time I was I was little. It's it's something that I love to do. I am happy out sitting in Basaris. I am, you know, I, I haven't was, been in Basaris for years. <laughs> well, I've done quite a bit of Basaris at about 11 o'clock at night, late last bus out to Mullingar, you know, um, and it, it, just watching people and again, listening. I would happily do that instead of, say, going into a crowded bar with a group of friends, even though I love my friends, yes. obviously. But, you know, I'm as happy. You know, I find people fascinating. And so, and don't we all, but as an introvert, um, I suppose I take those conversations. They become my conversations in a way and I, I bring them into my writing. Yeah. Um, and I mean, Maeve Binchy, this this was the classic thing that she taught everybody or... Russell Carroll Kelly, uh, Paul um, Paul Howard. Oh, oh who wrote Paul Russell Howard, Carroll, who Carroll wrote Ross Carroll Kelly. His rule of thumb was Maeve's rule of thumb. So he taught from Maeve about that thing of when you're on a bus, listen. Yeah. Listen, because that's who we are as humans. And that's what you need to reflect in your stories, our humanity, um, our, our, our love of laughter, um, our upsets why is that person speaking in that way what has happened to them that morning that has perhaps caused them to to speak in that way to somebody and again again if you're listening to people having a conversation on a phone and you know and I do this myself you, you know you look at the phone and it's your friend your husband say particularly husbands and Oops, okay. I don't even I don't even say hello anymore it's like yeah yeah <laughs> you know and you're kind of like or I do the is everything okay <laughs> Well, then I'll call you back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have to say, in fairness to my husband, he's amazing. He he is so the opposite. He's like, hiya, how's it going? And he would he would have a big, long conversation. But I'm the, yeah, 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 let's get to the point. So I love listening to that and other people because it also reflects on who I am. And I'm thinking, God, I'm actually like that. You know, I yeah. do that. And so maybe I should try a little bit harder. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's interesting. And I think there's kind of confusion around what an introvert and an extrovert is on R. I love this kind of conversation. Because the thing is, to be honest, I would describe myself as an introvert in would that you? I'm very happy in my own company. Um, yeah. I, but I'm perfectly capable of being social. Yes. And I'm very social. And when I am yes, social, are, yeah. I'm very, I enjoy it very much. Yes. You know, like yeah, yeah. as you yeah. do too, I can tell. You like a conversation. Yeah. You yeah, like yeah. an interesting conversation. Yeah. Yes. But for me, I don't need that. I like yes. it and I, I enjoy very, it. Good point. But I don't need it. Um, and actually, that's something that you and, and I that that really kind of comes up in terms of Morris, you mm. know, and later and when, when he's talking about loneliness and people, the lovely character David trying oh. to draw him into the community and stay connected yeah. to the world. Mm. And I don't think mm. I'm destroying anything, mm. but. You know, Morris tries, but yes. he knows himself enough to know or he gets to a point where he says, I don't want that. No. Uh, and I think that's very important. I mean, I can quite happily stay here. Yeah. <laughs> in my yeah. home, in my bed, in my bedroom mm. for just hours forever, provided I am doing something that engrosses me, yeah. you know, that I'm in my flow. I'm very, very fortunate. And actually, this is part of the reason that I do this podcast and why I talk to people like you mm. about thriving and surviving in life is that mm. most people I talk to have found their thing, you know, yeah. the thing that that for when time is irrelevant, yes. you just can get lost in yes. it and you find yourself by losing yourself yeah. in a way. Yeah. And I feel that I'm fortunate to do that. And and the reason for the podcast really is to just sort of show people, you know, that, gosh, you know, yeah. there is, you know, yeah. this is there for everyone. You just have to kind of figure out what it yeah, is. Yeah, and it can take a long time to find can. that. So that brings me nicely as well. So you and I are both writers, but yes. we both... Well, you've, as you say, you've always wanted to write and you were writing short stories and you worked in a bookshop. Book yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I always wanted to write. OK. So this is because, yeah, I suppose I am not like those writers where from the minute they could walk and talk, they, you know, they loved books. 
books were apart for family, not a whole heap. You know, we my mum and dad brought to the library every Saturday. Yes. Oh, were you? Okay, so we we even had lesser. (laughs) Right. Okay. Um, But we did have um, like Ina Blyton's Mallory Towers and stuff like that. But we very much came from working class farming background. Poor. You know, we lived in the council estate, and but my mother and father were very aware that reading and writing was an important part of our education so we would be brought to the library but it wasn't in our culture yes you know um, and so your parents could bring you to the library but they would be at a loss maybe as to what books to exactly. suggest because they didn't yeah. have that history exactly yeah. they just let us off yeah. to find whatever we wanted ourselves and so really I didn't come to really enjoying and allowing books and literature be my escape and my place of comfort in the world until I got to college. I wasn't good at English in school. I would very mediocre marks. um, But that pretty much was my experience of school that I just academically, I wasn't flourishing in secondary school at all. So I got to college and I did take English um, in first year. Um, I took English, Irish and linguistics, which really amazed me. Um, But that all went horribly wrong. And I ended up having a degree in pure history by the end of it because I went because I failed my first year in college. Right. And so I had to go back and I dropped English, dropped all of those subjects and just took history, which actually was my first love. Right. Okay. And and it is tied to that earwigging. Yeah. Okay, very much so, because what I love in history is social history. I love people surviving. Right. People's, how did people live through the 1916 revolution? Those who were there. Yeah. Um, how did the women around that time who, before 1916 rising, were, were looking for the vote, were looking for emancipation effectively, and then had to put all of that aside for nationalism. And so those kind of stories just fascinated me. And I could do that through each significant period of history in our world, in Ireland. I loved it. So, um, so you placed yourself in there, in the yes, stories. And yeah. what would I have done exactly, in there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so I wasn't great on the military history. As I have always said, I'm sure I've said it a thousand times in interviews, I couldn't tell you the years of a particular war. I was no good at those kind of things at all. It was people. And so I got my degree in history and I went straight into Waterstones Booksellers on the basis of I loved history. I wanted to work right. selling books on history and in that I really even though I wasn't an academic I loved those academic type texts Um, and did you like reading them? Oh, I would. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I really did. And for years in Waterstones, that's what I was doing. I was right. doing nonfiction until eventually the fiction buyers wore me down and they were like, you got to start reading. And they'd and they come in and they'd hand me books, books and say you have to so, read this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Obviously, I did English in first year, so I had, Read you know, well, I was reading, you know, Jane Austen, Doris Lessing. I was, yeah. you know, I, was, I, I knew English was fantastic, um, but it really was then hanging out with the fiction buyers there. So I worked in Waterstones for eight years and there were some magnificent fiction buyers there. And I just go down to them and say, give me someone new, give me someone. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. Right. That was the dawning of literature and the escape into another world and the comfort. And, you know, it's that old thing of you will always have a friend when you have a book. Yeah. Yes, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, you you will. Um, and and but I left Waterstones then when I was 30. And and at that point, I had worked in London for Waterstones and back in Dublin. And I was managing the beautiful Dawson Street branch in Waterstones in Dublin. So I'd done really well in the company. Yeah. I could have gone on um, to do, you know, maybe gone back to London or whatever. But I, I just... Um, At the time, I was doing voluntary work with the Rape Crisis Centre, doing two years on the the helpline there. There was Ah, so so I I volunteered too. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, volunteerism in our family is extremely important. That kind of community giving, um, giving of your time into the community. Um, So um, and. I was kind of looking for a change at that point and I thought, well, why don't I change into the community and voluntary centre? Right, okay. So I actually made a huge shift and I went to work for Women's Aid and I actually ended up going back to college to do a higher diploma in community and youth work. Oh, I see. And so 
thereafter started um, a history of working within the charity sector. Right. And so I did work as a development worker with Mayo Traveller Support Group um, and with an Irish charity in Dublin called the Southside Partnership, again working with travellers and working with unaccompanied minors. Possibly the terminology around that is wrong now, uh, but at the time it was so... It's different, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was uh, young asylum seekers and refugees coming into the country without parents. Right. Um, so I worked with them and I also worked with um, marginalised groups within the south side of Dublin um, who were marginalised through you know social and economic deprivation um, so I did that for about five years so really this whole thing of writing still wasn't coming to me yeah. my, my love of books and literature but I so but it's people you see it's people, people. who are there all the time because that's what people. I get you know yeah. that my interest is in people exactly. and, and, and how we work and, exactly and that's always been there for me I think that's why when you know I read books if they allow me which actually when all is said and done does mm. it allows me right inside that yes. that, that man's brain his exactly. head his thought processes yeah. everything any book that does that for me is the kind of book I want it doesn't a lot doesn't have to happen. Exactly. But just as easily, I quite yeah. like it if there is a mystery and a detective and psychological <laughs> thrillers are probably my thing. Yes, exactly. Um, well, that's the thread that keeps you going and you're kind of... You're, yeah, you're, that's you're, the, you're, what's happening. Yeah. And, and, and there is that throughout your book. Is, yeah, oh, the, oh, yeah, and yeah. You, you do it just perfectly. You know, you sow the little seeds and yeah. you know, and you go, yeah, nah, yeah. I, I, I thought <laughs> that might be it or yeah. whatever, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is lovely. Um, but there's a few things there that you've said over there that interest me and it's the storytelling and I've said this mm. over and over again our brain mm. is a natural storyteller whether mm. you write it down or not it does it in order to help us survive it has to make sense of the world yes. so it's just making stories and yeah. it's looking for patterns and yeah. even when you're earwigging and listening to conversations yes. you're going oh I do that yes. so I do that all the time I can't help myself every time <laughs> I'm doing research on someone my natural instinct is to find some commonality yeah you know, and, and that's why, yes. again, I say if people just focused on that, we would yeah. have far less issues in the world. I do think and I, I've spoken at length at various other guests about mm. this. The social media puts that barricade between the, the human Horrendous. interaction. Yes. It, where, it, it, you, yeah. where you where you can't empathise. And, and exactly. I actually spoke to Ruth Gilligan, the author. Oh, yeah, she, lovely. Yeah, lovely. Wonderful Ruth. Yeah, Wonderful. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah. The charity, the organisation that she works with, the things that matter to her, mm. um, she works with an organisation that's trying to develop empathy. Mm. And they mm. use storytelling. So it's, it's a lovely thing. What they do is they get individuals from opposite side of the tracks or, you know, opposing yeah. whatever Brilliant. thing. And they pair them up. They do group sessions and they pair them up and they get one person to tell the other person something really important about themselves mm. and vice versa mm. but it's the person who has been told who has to then stand up and tell the story Fantastic, yeah. which is great because it mm. just allows you into the shoes and I just think we need mm. more and more mm. and more of that um, and going back to what Morris said that time when he was earwigging that it allowed him mm. to understand that we're all the same we're the same as our American cousins as he says yeah. and, and what he actually said um, it helped me realise we're no different from our American cousins the same things matter the world over saving face and money <laughs> and I just went oh my god you poor man yeah it's just so sad yeah. you know um, yeah. and and it's very it's so very true, true to life. the character yes. and, and of yes. his life yeah uh, and he does talk about his victories yes. and, and I'll kind of go on to that but yeah they're the things that matter to him and I'm really curious you know what are the things that matter to you Ooh. um Oh, God, I'm just thinking I have my, my husband on my shoulder here when you ask that question. I'm thinking <laughs> he'd possibly have a lot to say about this. Um, oh, in terms yeah. of in terms of him saying what matters to you. Yeah, what he feels. Forget about what we're supposed yes, to okay. say. Right? So Forget what, about that we're mothers and um, we might be supposed to say our children. And yeah, things. yeah. God, that's that's an excellent question. I think. Um, yeah. Kindness. OK. Kindness. And I think it's a bit what you were saying about with that empathy. We just, we need to find space for kindness and mm -hmm. for understanding. I'm not always good at it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I fall down on that. I can be sitting in traffic and somebody will pull out in front of me and I'm like, oh, for God's sake, what the mm. hell did they do? When really, you know, 
Yeah, they've pulled out in front of me. How many times have you pulled out on yeah. somebody? You know, it's just that thing of, you know, we're human and we just need to give each other a break. Yeah. You know, and yeah. stop expecting perfection from the other person yeah. all of the time. And from ourselves. Yeah. You've got to be kind to yourself. You do. And possibly that's something that I'm not good at. Mm. The, and, and I think as humans... It's very hard. Yeah, that's actually the hardest bit is mm. learning to be kind to yourself. That's the toughest bit. And Sadie's on the money uh, yeah. in this. I thought that was very revealing. Sadie is Morris's wife. Yeah. And he overhears her talking to their baby son. That was very important section. For oh, me. me too. It just really jumped out. But can I ask you why it's very important? I, I should explain yeah. it or you explain it perhaps. So there's just a two page scene mm. in the book where Morris overhears Sadie talking to their four year old son, Kevin, and he's just come out of the bath and he's on the floor and he's playing with the Johnson's baby powder and it's going everywhere. But she's she's trying to explain to him that she wants him to always love himself. That's all she wants. And I find it very emotional, mm. that scene, because that came from my life with my son. Right. That very scene came from that life with my son. I wondered that. That's why I yeah. wanted to take And it's it's funny. It, the editor who bought the book uh, from Stepford, that's her absolute favourite scene. And yeah. I just find, find it so moving that it is. And I love to read that scene because I can feel it. I know it. I remember the words. I remember sitting with my son, him lying on the floor. And he's kind of going... Yeah, mommy, yeah, or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's like I'm really trying to say to him, no, but it's the hardest thing we ever have to learn yeah. is how to love yourself because I know I suffer from it. Yeah. I don't know how to love myself. Yeah. And and that's what I'm saying. My husband's sitting on my shoulder. My husband is very in touch with himself and in understanding himself and human nature would say you are not kind enough to yourself. You right. don't love yourself enough. And... I think it is so common. I think we are. I think it is the hardest thing for us to learn. So I was trying to in knowing it's hard for me to learn that I want to just say the words for my son to see if well, maybe in me saying it to yeah. him, rather than acting it, and acting, loving yourself and him seeing me love myself is a much more powerful thing yes. and a much more hard thing to do. But I wanted to bring up this concept at the age of four that a child in particularly a well, no, it doesn't matter what gender, but we just understand that there is actually importance in loving yourself. And so I put that in there and it was very important at the time because Maris is certainly a man who didn't love no. himself at all and very, very silent in terms of his own ability to talk to anyone about what was going on in his life. Like a lot of men of his generation, like the way we all can be, um, but particularly of that generation. And I wanted him... To have that moment where he's hearing somebody saying to somebody else, you should just love yourself. You've got to yeah. learn how to love but, yourself. But, but it's even more than that, because I think the way it's written, it's beautiful because it doesn't just say love yourself because that's vague and abstract. Yeah. And how do you do that? Yeah. But I think it says if you love yourself, if you always take time to understand yeah. yourself yeah. if you're kind to yourself yeah. I'm paraphrasing no now, no but you're but, right I, these um, are it, the, it is more it's yeah. also so it's like so I write non-fiction yes okay and in that I have to give practical tips non-fiction <laughs> is just based on practical tips I want to tell people what's going on in their brains and I want to give them information you know yeah. but actually you have to explain why that that yeah. works or you have to be very explicit mm. so yeah, lots of self-help you read about. It's learn to love yourself. And yes. You're going to go, yeah, well, how the fuck do I do yeah, that? I know. <laughs> I know. You know, I actually yeah. don't. And yeah, you know yeah. what? Um, and it's something actually I really want to write about. Anyway, um, but I think it's wonderful in that passage, you know, that you go from the love yourself and here's how. Yes. Do you know, understand yourself, be kind to yourself. And I think yeah. there's a third thing which, um, which I can't think of. But then Morris, the character, muses on that. Yes. Love yourself. Did yes. you ever hear yes. that? likes yeah, do you know yeah. but he, yet at the end of that he he says and this is this is where he goes maybe that's why you are the person you are maybe that's why you are so sure well, of yourself yes <laughs> sorry yeah. i remember yeah, your words yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's what's so true and and you know those early formative years are so mm. important for all of us yes um but i think in two things in going forward as you've done mm. For me, that's progress. We can often fall into similar, and many times you said, "Oh God, I sound like my mother," yes. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And um, but it is important that we also recognize.
recognize things that didn't work and try and fix those again. Yeah. And I mean, I've I tried myself with my own kids and then I, you know, similar to you to try and boost them. But also I failed miserably and said things on occasion that must have just destroyed their self-confidence well, or whatever. Well, that's it. And that's, that's that thing of we, you were saying, well, I was saying we expect perfection from other people and you were saying, and we expect it from ourselves. And we, so we're going to fall down. We're yeah. going to mm-hmm. say in moments of complete exhaustion, yeah. In moments of absolute stress, financial, for whatever reason. For me, it was always PMT. There you go. You know. Yes. Currently, and I'm doing the, the menopause. I'm right. Not, you know. <laughs> I love the way you say that. <laughs> Currently, I'm doing, doing the, menopause. the menopause. Yes. Yeah, for yeah. a little while. I'm going to do for a little while. I'm going to see how that goes. Yeah. For me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So we're not always going to get it right. No, but I think it's important to acknowledge that and let other people know that. I mean, I still see sometimes I kind of go, gosh, even after all I did, I, you know, say to them, how come you don't have self-confidence? You're brilliant. You're this. And they don't. And then I go, oh, did I fail miserably? And then maybe it's a case of, well, no, maybe they would have been much worse. You know, if it's hard. I mean, doing your best is is the most important, I suppose. You know, it it is. And And doing it with kindness, I think, as you said. Yeah. and, And I probably I would translate that to empathy in a way there's a lovely yes. little book actually if anybody is listening um, I got it on one of those 99p Kindle deals I know they can be sometimes you know the death of the local bookshop <laughs> etc but sometimes they just throw up things that you'd never find yes. or never think of or, yeah. or never buy but one of them is actually a little book of kindness oh okay. have, you, have yeah. you read no. it it's no. just a kind act today or something yeah, like that you know yeah, but yeah. it's actually a lovely little book it's yeah. a really really nice it just gets you thinking yeah. but how you can be kind and how you can be kind yeah. to yourself and how you can be kind yeah. to other and it's just tiny it's, tiny things and those things you know what I'm learning now I think confidence also comes with age I have to say yes um, but you constantly have to be working on those things like it's not something like you read a book and don't grant or I go to therapy for six months or whatever and you know, like it's a constant work. it's constantly so when they talk about I don't do daily meditations or anything like that but there is you, you, you know, I'm re- realizing that every day I have to kind of understand myself again. Yes. Anyway, you know, so you constantly. But I think that is meditation in a way on itself. Yeah. I don't sit down and do meditation. Mm. Um, some days I just do. Yes. You know, but yeah. then I find if I stop and think. Yeah. And I call it like, it's almost like resetting. Right, you yes. Know, you know, it's yes. like a reset and I kind of go, okay, okay, okay. Now where, what, right. And then yeah. I go off again. And for me, I find, I think that's part of the acceptance of self is that there's cycles, you know. Right, yes. So, so I do these sometimes as like spring cleaning, you know, <laughs> and you say, right, well, this is what I want to focus on. This is what I want to do. And uh-huh. I'm going to do this. And I do that. And I do that. And things are wonderful and they're great. And then you slip, you know. Yes, and absolutely. And then you do. And then I come back. And what I've realized is I used to beat myself up for the slipping. The slipping, exactly. And then actually I don't now. And I kind of oh, go, well, really do you know good. what? Maybe I just need to to relax and be off for a while. And I think that for me would be my greatest learning. If I could learn that, if I could learn. I'm older than you, you see, (laughs) so the learning comes. I'm much older than me. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, that thing of accepting um, the slipping. And so like I can talk the talk about saying I love realising who we are as humans and understanding, you know, what makes us tick and why we do this and why we do that. So I can see it. I'm not always learning from it. I'm not always learning that there are going to be days when I'm not good at this. And saying, do you know, that's okay. That's my learning. You see, the thing is, I think what people forget is that in order to learn, you have to make mistakes. That is how your brain learns. And it learns it learns through shaping. You know, if you want to teach a pigeon how to press a blue button, then a yellow button, then an orange button, turn around once in order to get a pellet, you shape that behavior. You don't say blue, yellow, blue, blue, you know. You go you actually give it a reward when it turns its head towards the first button you want it to Mm. click. Yeah. And you have to keep rewarding that and then you delay it a little bit so that he actually has to step towards that button. I mean, it's incredible. The people who do this kind of scientific <laughs> research have the patience of, of Joe. But that applies to humans. Yeah. Do you know, we have to, and I think we forget mm. that. We, do. we forget to reward ourselves for the tiniest little bit of progress. Yes. And we say, oh, you know, like that, my I husband just can't would do be it. very supportive. Yeah, yes. and he 
would say to me, oh, but you're doing great. And I go, and I forget that bit. And I go, oh, but for feck's sake, you know, yeah. you know, I mean, I, yeah, you're great. You wrote a book. And I go, yeah, but like it didn't say, you know, <laughs> oh, but it got number one in Ireland. I, yeah, but that's only Ireland. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. You know, it's just, that, yeah. we should be just, uh, you know. Stopping but I think it, yeah. what we have to remember all the time is we are humans. Yes. We're creatures. We're animals. You yes. know, and some people find that insulting, but I actually find that really liberating. Yes. Because in acknowledging that, we are animals that are possessed of this brain that has evolved, that has allowed us to achieve these amazing things. And so if we just actually spend a little bit of time in understanding how it works, then we can start optimising and accepting how it works. Mm. And Mm. I think sometimes one of the the failures of humanity is giving ourselves too much credit, you know, thinking that we're these higher order creatures than we are. Yes. Do you know, we are, we've made incredible progress, but I think we are always, you know, Mm. we are subject to our biology, to our Mm. evolution, to to Mm. our genetics. That doesn't mean we can't change it, but you have to understand it if you're going to work with it. You can't, pretend it doesn't exist. I find that liberating, but... No, that um, is. It's, it's really good. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's one thing then I want to talk to you about and and I'm curious and it has personal interest for me and I'm wondering does it come Mm. from a personal place from you is that clearly Morris has dyslexia and we learned that very early Mm. in the book Mm. Um, and it's wonderfully written about it's sad and remains sad, yes. you know, today Yes. for, for, for children, for anyone, Absolutely. even though we've come on in leaps and bounds since Morris's yeah. time. I'm even surprised Absolutely. that he is treated the way he's treated in the book. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I got I even remember my father wasn't dyslexic, but he was a kitog. Yes. You know, yes. and he would That's be beaten to, yeah. to, to, to write with his, yeah. his his right hand. What that did mm. to the brains, I really don't know. But Careful, yeah. Um, yeah, so, t- so yeah. tell me, I'm, I'm curious. You're obviously something you feel strongly about because you write beautifully about it. And it's not just something on top of the character. It's yeah. very much an essence of what has shaped him. Yeah. And later yeah. in the book. That, um, so I was working for the Dyslexia Association. I wondered, yeah, yeah, because I know you do, but I didn't know yeah. whether it was around the same yeah, time. Yeah, no, so it was, as I was writing the book, I was I was with them for a year um, and I had actually shifted from being a development worker. I'd gone back to college again um, and I had trained uh, as an accounts technician because what happened was I found doing frontline development work I felt I was bringing far too much home. I was living the difficulties that people were living through and I felt that that wasn't going to help them a whole. I had decided that I wanted to remain within charity work but I didn't want to do the frontline work but I wanted to support those who could do that kind of right. frontline work. So I trained again uh, because I'm a real good administrator and I trained again to do accounts so that I could work within the charity sector and do financial management within the charity sector. So one of my jobs ended up being with the Dyslexia Association right. for a year and there's such a wonderful team there. They are amazing people and I actually shared it was a huge office and I shared the office with the helpline, the Dyslexia Association right. helpline. So one day I heard um, the one of my colleagues on the phone where she was saying, no, 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 you're not stupid. Mm. You're, you're not stupid. This is something you learn differently. And she was wonderful in how she counselled this person. And when she got off the phone, 
it transpired. Now, they were always very good. They never told me anything about people. But something just came up that I realised, actually, this person was in his 70s. Yeah. And that broke my heart. And then so being around in that organisation and realising how people suffered and, you know, as you say, today it is much better. Children just automatically know they learn differently. That's not to say there isn't struggles, um, Mm -hmm. but I just do think it's a much more normal experience that some people learn this way, some people learn that way. But the suffering that people before our enlightenment around this suffered. So it was really important for it, it just naturally came into the story. Oh, but it shapes his whole life. It's yes. I, mean, I mean, you can see, yeah. for me anyway, reading it, I could see his entire life through that lens. Yes. Um. And 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 you know, he had quite a good experience. You know. You know. And relatively that was important. Speaking, no. Do, yes. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So so relatively speaking, because there was other horrific stories, and yes. I mean, I know at the time when I had my own concerns about my eldest son, mm. it was reading articles around the fact that. Something like seventy percent or seventy-five percent of all people in our in our prisons either have a learning disability mm. or mm. they uh, have mental health issues. Yes, and that yes. was the spur for me that yes. I had to fight my son's corner and just find out what if you know yes. what what is going on and what you just said there. I do know when he got his diagnosis and it was an umbrella diagnosis. Mm. I mean, dyslexia is very much an umbrella diagnosis, yes. and yeah. he wouldn't have a particularly common pattern. Yeah, right, but. He just said, oh, at least I'm not stupid. Do you know? You know Absolutely. Uh, he had that, like, because he knew he so wasn't at 31. stupid. 31, wow. No, 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 he said it at nine. But, 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 he's, but he's 31, 31 now. now. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. So that's yeah, relatively yeah. recent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, there was kids in his class. Now, I fought like a lioness, do you know? I mean, and I did. And it's part of the reason I went to university Good, uh, yeah. as a mature. Yeah. Because I started working with him because the system was still failing him. Yeah. And I mean, I was told when he was about heading into secondary school that he should do woodwork and metalwork. <gasps> And all that sort of stuff, which you know? are great things to do. Oh, fine, but, but what he wasn't they were good using at stuff like yes. that. <laughs> um, but they were using it as a way oh, to, to say, get him out of. But but it, it's you know. a total misunderstanding of what dyslexia is. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. dyslexia has nothing to do with your intellectual ability. Well, it does. But what I mean is, there's this misunderstanding still. I think persists uh-huh. that dyslexia has something to do with intellect. Exactly. But the thing that it has to do with intellect is you can't actually show and demonstrate your true intellect. Yeah. through writing and or reading yeah. um, because the dyslexia stops you from doing that. Yeah. So generally speaking and by definition you must have a higher IQ, higher Absolutely. capacity Absolutely. across all things than Absolutely. how you are performing in your written level. If you're performing below average and your IQ and various other cap- capacities are below average, well then you're performing in your range. Yes. By definition, yes. you know, in order to have a diagnosis there has to be this gap and, and my son's case a huge gap and obviously in your character's case quite a huge gap because he goes on to achieve so many incredible things. That was the other thing that I learned. It's exactly what you're saying is that people who have dyslexia or perhaps other difficulties around academic learning um, and the emphasis we put on that is that these people are the brilliant survivors. Yes. So in the world they have to go out there and work doubly Doubly hard. hard. Doubly hard. And people rarely and it's hidden very understand often. the exhaustion yes. that they feel. Yes. I used to see that my, with my son when he went to university. I mean, he would go in and he would mm. come home and have to sleep for three hours mm. just mm. after being at lectures for, mm. you know. Yeah. And then on top of that, then have to get up and try and study like everybody else. Yeah. So, yeah, you might get a, you know, a few minutes extra in every ex- mm. exam to write longer, but it's not about that. Yes. It's about all the other yeah. exhausting things that you have to do and surmount. And even just like your character, and you know, who keeps it under his hat yes. for his entire life yeah. and feels shame he and does. embarrassment. And I still think that persists. Yes. Um, and I know my, uh, and I will check again before we, we broadcast on this with my son, but we, I have spoken about it before and he's happy for me to speak about mm. it. But in the past he wasn't. And certainly when he was right. in university, he did not want people to know, to know, you know, because that sets you apart as, as different. Um, and That's I would really just argue time and again, but if you tell them, they will then understand mm. that, you know, your untidy writing is not carelessness. It's the 
only way mm. you can write. But there is that embarrassment that there just shouldn't be. Mm. You know, we have we have a society, as you just said there, mm. that happens to revere academic achievement. And I mean, drives me nuts. I, yeah. you know, late in life, I achieved academically, but I yeah, don't see like that me. as anything no. particularly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my son is coming up to, well, he's, he's, um, he's go, he'll be going into TY year, but as we're coming toward the, you know, the leaving cert, you know, I've all, you know, I'm quite happy. It's like, well, you know, we will support you as much as we can. But if, if, if you don't want to be going on to college yeah. to do architecture or whatever, great, take, let's let's just figure it out as we go. You've yeah. got the rest of your life. I've gone to college four times. Yeah, it's amazing. Four times. Um, but the other thing is when you were talking about you fought for your son like a lioness. Not everybody can. No, that's my point. Isn't, isn't that's it? Point and that's the make. bit that, you know, thank God you were there for your son. Yeah, but my heart breaks. I shouldn't have to be there. I exactly. shouldn't have to be there. And I know that there was, that was actually my point why I said it, it actually, but I never got there. <laughs> um, it wasn't to say, hey, look at me, I'm great. I fought exactly. like a lioness. It yeah. was that there was another boy in particular uh, in his class and I spoke to his mother and I said oh look he has this and if you do this and if you do this and we work with and I mean I worked with Darren mm. and planning and organising mm. and all the rest mm. and she just for she whatever just didn't reason, have it she wasn't for able to for whatever reason maybe she, did, she you know maybe she so we suspect my husband has dyslexia yeah. but there wouldn't have been that diagnosis yes. you know and he left school and became a printer you know he was yes. told to go and get a um, a trade or whatever and, and uh, you know he would always fall asleep when he tried to read do you, do you know which yeah. I think is probably yeah, yeah. just the exhaustion yeah. of trying to focus it. yes yeah, um, that would make sense but but it's the it shouldn't be that you are at the mercy of what your parents' capacities are. And and that kind of brings me Very nicely to true. another theme in the book, mm. which I think I'll put it under the umbrella of parents. Okay. Uh, or parent-child relationships. But you you actually really cover and touch on quite a lot. I'm really delighted that this book is about a man and from yes. a man's perspective. But being a mother, mm. infertility, not wanting to be a mother, mm. choosing not to be a, a mother, mm. choosing to be a mother and finding it really challenging. Yeah. You know, they've all come up as themes, you know, speaking yeah. to the people that I have as guests. Mm. I think some of these, these are things that men go through too in very different ways. Yes. Um, and you explore those themes very nicely in this mm. book from a man's perspective. Yeah. A very yeah. particular man. It, I wouldn't say it's an Every man perspective, yeah, but yeah. what is what? Yes. What does that mean exactly. anyway? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's 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 wonderfully done. Um, there's his relationship with his wife, their mm. infertility. Yes. Oh my god! And, and yeah. Molly and yes. Oh, yeah. uh, folks, you really do just have to read this book. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it on you by going in too much. But there's also there's his relationship with his son, yes. which isn't really giving anything very much away no. because, in a sense, in my head, he's talking. He, well, he is talking to his son. Throughout. It's kind of a love story yeah. to his son. In a way, to, in a to way. both his, his wife, wife and, and his son. His son yeah. But it's also about his own relationship with his father. Like when you look at that statement where he says, you know, we're all the same. What matters to us that yeah, I quoted yeah, earlier is, uh, uh, is what other people think. Saving yes. face and money. Yeah. That he learned from his father. Yeah. Really, you know, well, and yes, in a way. I suppose, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he talks about his victories, yes, that's what I think he's going. Dad, look at me! Look Absolutely. what I did! Um, Don't we all do that? Yeah, we do. <laughs> we we hold it for so long, but he held it so long that yeah. he then couldn't be the father. Yeah, that he, yeah, deep down wanted to be. He was so yeah. focused on. God. Saying, Daddy, look at me, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's what I'm reading. I mean, that's what I love about books. I can see you looking at me. This used to happen to me when I was an actor with scripts. <laughs> I'd say, oh, and she does this because that and the writer look at me and go, do you know I didn't I know that, but yeah. that's good. <laughs> no, and that's what I do love. Like very often when I, you know, I'm doing readings and, and people will ask me questions and say, you know, I think this book is about, and I'm like, Wow! Yeah. yeah, yeah. God, that's brilliant. Never thought of that. Um, and I that's love good that. writing. I think, though, yeah, because I it allows you're, yeah. you're you're giving space. You're telling yeah. a story, and you're giving space for people to do what you do on the bus. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm reading that story, and I'm yeah. bringing my life experiences yeah. to it, and I'm interpreting well, it in my the, way, which is what writing is all about. Yeah. I mean, when I when I went back to college for the fourth time, <laughs> and did my MA in creative writing, um, one of the things that I remember um, being taught was 
does that. Um, half of the work of a writer is allowing the reader do his part. Right. And so that means stop explaining everything. Stop mm. giving all of the details. You need to allow the space of the reader's imagination. Yeah. And, you know, one sentence to one person will mean this and to another will mean that. And the reading experience for the reader, it's like... For me, it's about finding your own understanding of that character there reflected in who you are as a human being as well and and how your life has been affected throughout your many years. And it's just, again, it comes back to that empathy and understanding who we are as human beings, Mm. understanding our vulnerabilities. And I think that's part of why Morris has captured the imagination of people is because he is a deeply vulnerable, flawed man. Oh, yeah. Very successful. Knows himself quite well. But in terms of markers of success that were set from yes, childhood from wh- and from which was all about land and wealth, yeah, and yeah. and and the and there's a a coin that weaves its way through yeah. the novel, which is quite a significant thing because wealth is at the heart of who Morris has become, and yeah. so this coin is kind of an interesting one as well. Um, but the wealth, you know, his real wealth. Is he there in his, he, in he his wife. See. And that's and his, why. His, his children. His on child. this significant children, night. Maybe, yeah. yeah. That's what he's sitting there yeah. saying. Yeah. You know, that is the realisation. And he is very aware that he's 84 years of age. And flipping hell, it's taken me all this time to yeah, realise yeah, that. Yeah. You know. I like it too because, well, just because of my work in the ageing sector and mm. how we live in such an ageist society. Yes, absolutely. That I agree. This totally. is a lovely very detailed human story about an older individual mm. who matters, who we care yes. about, who has thoughts, feelings, desires, love, exactly. you, you know, still mm. at 84, yeah. uh, which we, I think a lot of people forget. Yes. And we dehumanise older people. We totally and we do. other them like yes. we other, you know, people of different sexual orientations, etc. But I know myself that we still have a very long way to go on that because... Yes. Anytime I point out ageism, I get piled on like you wouldn't believe. Yes, people are not prepared to accept that they're ageist, that it exists. And and it really is pervasive. And I think we need multi-pronged approaches. You can't just have someone like me standing up there and going, you know, this and here's an example. But a book like this can make a huge difference because not just for Morris's character, also for the character Thomas, is it? Yes. You know, it takes us on this journey and really at the core of it, throughout the book is the thing that you just said to me earlier on that you had to struggle to think about what matters to me but the kindness yes because it is that thinking what's going on in someone else's life Mm. why are they like that Mm. and that's that thing certainly you know Thomas was the bully I tried to do that with my kids you know if they were bullied and I'd say look there must be something really crap going on in their life that the only way they can feel good about themselves is to make you feel bad exactly it's you know and I mean it's hard to do that and it's hard not to respond because we have to protect ourselves and if someone is going to threaten us we will get that physiological response that gets us to to stand up but if we could kind of do a bit more Mm. um, in some regards. Just on that sorry just to come in um, in writing this book um, I have been asked and I have done many festivals I have done hundreds of interviews one person has asked me about the idea of this being an 84 year old man and looking at the loneliness within Society and how older people are treated within society. I think it did get mentioned. I, I wasn't present. But my book is being um, presented at a festival over in Germany in the last week or so, and it came up there. Wow. That's twice. I'm surprised. It shocked me. It, I was ready to talk about it. Yeah. And I was even nervous to talk about it. I, I'm it surprised just, people no, didn't pick people, up on that. They, and I was quite happy to write feature articles. So when you're starting out, you've got a debut novel, yeah. your publicists are going to try to get you uh, into papers, just, you know, feature articles on whatever you want to write about. I suggested, can I write about um, older people in Ireland? And um, not that I was any kind of expert, yeah, but I yeah. just wanted to talk about why I've written this. Nobody wanted it. 
Well, you know, that's really it's interesting. just not sexy. So, so basically, well, that's the thing. Yeah. And we have to start making it uh, at least in, interesting. Because the thing is, <laughs> yeah. it affects all of us. Yeah, we're going we live long enough. And I think you capture it lovely because it is not just Morris who is lonely. Yes. You know, throughout the book. Yes. Loneliness is a pervasive yeah. theme. Um, but what I do like about the book is that you captured the nuance of it. Loneliness and being alone are not the same thing. Absolutely. And that's critical. And you can be very, very lonely in a crowd. You can be lonely with your family. You can be lonely with those who love because you don't have. I mean, scientifically, you know, loneliness is when there is a mismatch between what you need in terms of social connection and what you have. That's all. So that's what I sort of say, you know, when I would say I'm much more of an introvert than people would imagine. Yes. I don't need lots of friends. I don't need to go out. In fact, I would find it a bit stressful if I had to, you know, go out with people socially three or four times a week. You know, I would be, you know, but even probably (laughs) once a week. Do do, do, you know what I mean? I am quite happy with, I love it when I'm doing it, but I I don't crave it. Like I think a lot of people during lockdown felt, oh, I'm going to go insane because I don't Mm. have people to talk Mm. to, etc. My husband, on the other hand, would be the complete opposite Mm. he needs people it's not that he needs tons of friends he needs the banter he needs to be talking to people and that's what his job is he's in sales and he he couldn't do it during lockdown so he missed that desperately Um, and uh, you know um, and uh, so that's the point I, I guess whilst we're all the same as human beings in that we need social connection and we experience loneliness mm. we are different in the degrees of contact that we need and it's yeah. not a one size fits all yes and but it is important and I say it if anyone wants to listen to it I did a booster episode on loneliness where I speak about loneliness is no different than than a hunger pain oh. it is just your brain informing you that you need to connect socially okay it's just a hunger you need to eat thirst you need to drink they're painful they're unpleasant they're aversive what we call aversive stimuli you need to do something to stop them because the feeling of okay. loneliness is painful so it is your brain basically saying you you need to get socially connected you've kind of right. become disconnected and we yeah. don't do well on our own and plus we need the interaction to keep our brain okay. stimulated and and working so it, it, it's kind of interesting but I think you handle it wonderfully and oh, I am you. quite surprised yes that um <laughs> I was too. <laughs> that people, gosh, isn't it funny yeah. what, what people see? And and I think too, it's rather interesting. In a way, he found his own way to meet his needs of mm. loneliness through his ghosts. Yes. Do you know? Yes, no, that's true. It is. It's, it, yes. Because they're the people he wanted. You see, yes. that's the thing. It has to yeah. be. People, connecting with people is just not good. It has to yeah. be people with whom you feel a connection. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. did that in his head. Yes, he did. And, you know, I mean, I think that's OK, too, because yeah. in a way you're keeping your head active and and, mm. and you're talking. But it's yeah. lovely the way he did it. And yeah. it. Just there's some really wonderful threads. There's also the classic. And I would be really remiss <laughs> if I don't talk about guilt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're Classic brimming Irish over, <laughs> brimming over with it, aren't we? I think we all are. I think every every nation is because you know. Do you think you don't think it's a very specific Irish thing, or do well, you think look, we're there is. You know, look, we could go back and we could look at all of the issues that would bring guilt with it. I mean, we're taught it. You yeah. know, Irish Catholics are taught it. I, you know, I can't speak for Irish Protestants. I can't speak for other religions within yeah. Ireland. I don't know, um, but I know having been brought up in an Irish um, Catholic background. That yes, we are. We're taught it. We're taught that this is how it is to be a human, um, because we're sinning all the time, and you know, and and I respect people's belief in that. That's what that if that's what works for them, fantastic. It doesn't work for me, but I still suffer from having been raised within that. What I find really interesting is that so my book has has been published in, in many different countries. And so I will get emails from people in Australia and Germany and Holland, um, you know, relating to this book and relating yeah, so this, to those. That's going to be my next question. Yeah, I'm dying to know. Relating to those universal themes of certainly the inability to talk honestly and openly, okay. that in, that silence um in families and not necessarily guilt. Guilt hasn't been brought up so much, but certainly that regret. OK. You know, regret. The if-onlys is the way exactly. you, you yeah, but, use the um, words. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we have a particularly, you know, good brand of guilt here in yeah. Ireland. You know, we see, we do it. We're, we, we're, we, we're going, we have a good, we're world a, leaders a good work ethic on yeah, the guilt. Yeah, you know. Guilt. Um, so the themes, though, so people see it more, rather than say, I've been talking to you in themes, you know, yes. parenting, or people see it more like, Almost, that's been my experience in yes. my family. My, that's how my, they connect. Yes, with you. it's like that. You have written my uncle. You've written my right. grandfather. You've written my father. Okay, okay. Um, so that's relevance and empathy. You know, yeah. I mean, you have connected at a very universal level. And and again, it's about that thing of just writing our flaws and our vulnerabilities. Mm. But you write it so well, I have to say. <laughs> no, you really do. You know. Um, well, thank you, and it's 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 lovely to hear that. And of course, I'm sitting here with my my oh. own insecurities. Going, Geez, how did I manage that? I'm really not quite sure how I managed. Yeah. You know, like you know, you're still yeah. questioning. You were saying earlier about having to take that moment to say, yes, I actually did write a book, and yes, yeah. it was it was in the bestseller list in Ireland. You know, I'm I like. You like everybody else. I'm very bad at taking that moment yeah. and, and 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 trying to let it seep in. So you you this you the same as as me. We're on a very similar trajectory. I'm nonfiction. Yeah. I'm haven't had the same sort of success, but I'm just mean in terms of the work. We both had our books first book published in two thousand and nineteen. Yes. Uh, we've both just finished writing our second yeah. books. Uh, have you made it to copy edit yet? <laughs> no. No, okay. I'm a copy edit, which for, she's, for she's anybody is like ahead of me. almost, <laughs> almost get out of jail free. You know, it's like, okay, it's only yeah. how the book looks or, or yeah. the spelling stuff from, from I, here on in. I'm supposed to be getting word back on whether the structural edits are done. Okay. I'm not even into line edits Right, yet. Okay, okay. So I'm getting word back on Monday as to whether I've actually managed when you to might get to the stage. You I don't know. know. I, I I doubt it, but go on, Sabina. Sorry, but the point I'm the point I'm very laboriously trying to get to is, and it is about that. It is, in a way, I suppose, about not enjoying the moment. The minute I finished my first book, I was right. What's my next one? Can I get a deal for my next one? And will you give me another one? And I'm already there on the next one. But these are the things I I, I need to write about stuff that matters to me. Yeah. Just as you do. I mean, mine yeah. is, is, is nonfiction, but it just has to matter to me. It, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I think if anybody wants any sort of tips on writing, you have to buy, write about something that matters to you because Absolutely. it's tough going and, it and, and, and it is all consuming. Really and so you have to care yeah. about it. It can't just be, oh, I want to get to the end of a book. Yes, absolutely. that's irrelevant. It's yeah. I have to get this information out of my head and down on page and yeah. I have to like what I've put down on page. And, and, and that's the key. You have yeah. to like you have to be able to say at the end of the day, I've done my best with this and I I'm happy for that to be put into yeah. the world. If you're not and happy. And that's hard because you're doing it under time constraint. Yeah. Um, and contract. And you were the same as me. You were writing during lockdown, which is not the most conducive environment no. to creativity. No. You know, stress is not conducive to yeah. creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And and living with uncertainty, you need to escape. It, it can be a wonderful escape. But when we were in all in that very high yeah. fear, yeah. unknown stage, you know, I don't know about you, but I just wanted to be there with other people experiencing that kind of, what are we doing? What, what's happening? But here yeah. I am and I'm, you know, and you're I'm sure there. the minute you My get edit. to copy edits, you're probably going to be saying... Yeah. What next? Yeah. But yeah, COVID was an interesting one for me because my workspace was invaded because right. my husband is a teacher and, I, and my son was in school and suddenly they're back in my oh. my workspace and my workspace has to be silent. Yeah, I'm and too. And it's no longer silent. So I struggled yeah. very badly through it. But, you know, I still have my fingers crossed. So you crossed see, it. I think that's interesting going back to what we were talking again about the introvert mm. and the extrovert, mm. which is why I would still argue again that I'm an introvert is extroverts t- tend to need a lot of outside stimulation yes and actually years ago my husband very kindly just agreed to get rid of a radio and now he plays music in the house mainly when I'm not there or else when I'm listening to audiobooks I can't cope with all that outside stimulation it interferes with what I'm trying I can't so you see I think they're the definitions of introversion people see it yeah I think people misconstrue introversion with shyness I think you okay. can be a shy introvert and I think that's what people see as an introvert. Oh, they okay. keep to themselves and they're always inside yeah. their head. Yeah. Whereas what I see as an introvert and I think some of the science backs me up is you actually don't need as much outside yeah. stimulation as yeah. other people. Yeah. You actually can be very self-satisfied yes. within. And I find, I don't know about you, there's so much going on in my head 
all of the time that to start putting information from the outside it's world in very there, similar. I'm kind of going really yeah. folks I've enough going on here for the moment yeah. um, and then yeah. of occasion then um, you know if I do want to take that break and I do love audiobooks yeah okay it has to be really well read. This is one of the joys I'm having with guests on Superbrain <laughs> is for years I hadn't been able to, to read just with work. Well, I mean, I have to read science and of read course. from my work. Of and, course, yeah. And yeah. sometimes you're just too tired then, yeah. you know. But now I can read for work, yeah, you know, read yeah. for pleasure and for work, which is lovely. Um, it's been fascinating talking to you. There's a couple of things I just want to ask just before okay. we end because this is, as I said, about picking your super brain about surviving Uh and thriving in life. And I think you actually cover all those themes really kind of throughout the book, you know, but from yourself, just to ask you two questions, you can answer one of them or both of them, whatever. Or you can say, you know, don't care, can't (laughs) think, not going to bother. But really, what's the biggest challenge you faced and how did you survive it? And then again, on the flip side of that, what's your greatest achievement? When do you feel that you are thriving? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm just not very good at kind of tapping into myself. Yeah, in the moment. Um, I and I think this is actually it's something I'm not proud of. Right. But I'm going to say when I am when I am happy is is like when I know that, for example, I've done work wise, I've done well. Yeah. Like if I've finished a scene or say on Monday when I get feedback from my editor, if they say we're happy, we're through to line editing stage now, I will be because we're going on holidays. Um, you know, I will be really happy then. And I, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish my happiness didn't fall on just that. Should it not also fall on the fact that I... I am there with my wonderful son who's had a fantastic summer who at 15 years of age went off and got himself a job. Wow. And and my my wonderful husband who yeah, again we're quite different people but but we we complement each other very well. Should I not just be thinking I have 2 weeks with these guys? That's the happiness. It's really interesting. Okay, great. So my I'm husband sort me out. My husband and I really thrashed this out quite a bit mm. over lockdown. Okay. I would be the exact same as you. Okay. Right? Absolutely identical. And it is a combination of, I got my edits back. Yes. And I got comments on my first paragraph from my editor that says, what a wonderful, what a wonderful piece of writing, I think she said or something. And I was particularly pleased because I spent a lot of time on it. It's a fiction-y piece of writing. It is very descriptive passage. Uh And... I felt I exposed myself writing oh, okay. it. But that was the first comment. And I, I practically jumped out <laughs> of the chair with excitement, you know, and ran down to David and I said, she loved that. Piece. And, <laughs> you know, it's like fiction writing. And then she said I wrote it really well. And, you know, absolutely like a child. And overall, she really did love my... Right. And, I, and, and she said, look, I want more of your anecdotes, okay. which was great. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, once you do this, I think we'll go straight to copy edit, which was wow. just amazing. Um, so that joy, that... Oh, that's I get that total happiness. Okay. Um, but I think that comes from finding your thing. Okay. You know, the thing that makes you happy, the thing that you're good at, the thing that time flies by at. Okay. But I think for me that's what happiness is, is is yeah. finding that. Now the world tells us we should feel wonderfully happy for, you know, falling in love and having children. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. But we've sort of done that. And that's yeah. the ongoing okay. bit yeah, 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 of yeah. it, I think. Yeah. And, you know, sort of my husband had his joy taken away from him of doing his job during yeah. COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was kind of, and he, he was feeling guilty that he didn't feel happy because, you know, he had me. Yes. And we have a beautiful home yeah, and we have yeah. beautiful children. And yeah. I was trying to explain to him, but no, that's okay. I'm not okay. insulted by that. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. I think, you know, there's a lot of pursuit of happiness and pursuit of yes. love. And yes. I think a lot of books. Yes. 
media, yeah. television, films have a lot to answer for us because they're pointing yeah. us in directions that may not necessarily be the ultimate source mm. of, of happiness. Like, yes, you know, we are driven and, and, and you know, we do need to find love and mm. a lot of us have a drive to have children. And, you know, mm. I would say over time, you know, yes, my children were an amazing achievement and I feel very proud. And at the time I was helping my son with his his yes. his dyslexia, yeah, that yeah. made me happy if I got an achievement. Yes. and he got it. Yeah. You know, my other son is gay. I campaigned for marriage equality. Yes. You know, doing that work, that gave me my yeah. satisfaction yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. They're grown up now. Yeah. You know, they've got, and, and that started to change for me around the kind of teen years, you know. Right. There starts yeah. to be a bit more space. Um, it may be different for men, but I started to need more. Yes. Need stuff okay. and, and need some of me to come out. Mm. And I think you and I are lucky. You know, yeah. and maybe in a few years' time you may be done with writing these kind of novels. Yes, maybe I will. And you may want to do something yeah. else. And maybe yeah. I will. And, yes. and maybe, yes, yeah. but I think the point is finding something that gives you joy in the moment. Yes. That's happiness. Yeah. I remember years ago oh. reading a self-help book that said yeah. should be banned. Yes. yes. And I'm inclined to agree yeah. because that's your main character, Maris, has sort of lived his life around oh, the shoulds. Yeah. Not around the, oh, this is the thing that actually yes. makes me happy. Yeah. Um, I should just read my own book and learn from it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you should read it again because yeah. you forget. Yeah. You forget. I Sometimes yeah. I have to read if there's been a gap before, yeah. you, before you do. I have to yeah. kind of refresh what yeah, I said. That's really interesting. That's really good. Yeah. So this is kind of like being a therapy session. Oh. To be in it. So, I mean, yeah, I'm really glad I came along. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. But no, no, me, no. It's, Seriously. It's really good to get that insight and understanding and to be able to say, that's okay to feel that. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, you know I guess that's the point. Stop at the guilt. I, I just look guilt. at the, since I sort of discovered the brain, I just find mm. that really liberating because yeah. I just think, and, and, and that's for me, that's my mission. I say, and, and it sounds really corny, you know, I'm on a mission to help everybody release their super brain, but that's the whole <laughs> point. Yeah. We all have a super brain. You just need to kind of, it's almost like getting rid of those shackles of what you think yes. things should be yeah. or who you should be. Yeah. Spend a little time understanding how you work. Yeah. Not who you are necessarily yeah. but how you work and yeah and actually observing well when do I feel great yeah. what's that little moment mm, mm. and then can I expand that you know it's, it's a journey of discovery yeah, I know I, I love that look it's been absolutely <laughs> fantastic I've enjoyed every oh my god that's great can I just stay <laughs> can you interview me just every week for the rest of your podcast I'd really like that <laughs> that's been oh, brilliant thank, thank you so, you so much, much Andrew. No, it's been fantastic I hope that you enjoyed earwigging to my therapy session with Anne. Well, I'm just kidding, really. But seriously, talking is really cathartic. Just talking to someone can make the world feel a little less scary and a lot less lonely. I've included the link to the booster shot on loneliness that I mention in this episode. And I've also included links to the little book of kindness and Anne's novel in the show notes to this episode. I'll leave you today by suggesting that you be kind to yourself. And I don't mean go eat some cake. I mean be really kind to yourself from the inside out. Start by thinking only kind thoughts about yourself today. I love that the lead character in Anne's novel is 84. Tune in on Thursday for this week's booster shot. Is age just a number? My name is Sabina Brennan. You have been listening to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. Please take a moment to rate the show. Giving the show five stars would be really kind and would also make my day. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.